0: Would you open your Bibles with me to John chapter 12, where we find our scripture reading for the sermon this morning. And I will have you join me in the latter part of the scripture. The text today is John 12, verses 20 through 36. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Now I'd like us to read verses 23 through 28 together, verses 23 through 28. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? And Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. May God bless to our understanding this, His Word. Amen. It is at the core of just about any action movie that you rent or go to see or watch on television. The good guy gets in trouble trying to do something good, trying to steal the secret or or protect the secret, and, and he... Is being chased by the bad guys, chased by evil. And he's running for his life, and he's doing everything that he can to get away, to escape the danger that would end his life, that might destroy the world, that would uh, bring freedom to an end everywhere. And uh, we just hope for a good outcome, right? We want him to get away. It's basic to any action movie plot that conflict. We're hoping for the good resolution of his escape. Well, can you imagine one of those movies, let's say, with Superman or uh, Clint Eastwood or Bruce Willis or who else? Who's another great action? Uh, Alder Schwarzenegger. And, uh, and they are running from the bad guy. And all of a sudden, they stop and they start running towards evil. And the people that are chasing them, they give themselves up. And they say, that's it. You got me. Imagine they're captured, they're done away with. The credits come up. That's the end. And you would say, well, what was that all about? Yet that is the Christian story. The Christian story gives us Christ, who does not run from evil, but right into it. He does not resist the darkness, but he allows himself to be taken by it. He doesn't try to escape the cross, but he gives himself up to it. The cross is at the very heart of Christianity. The death of Jesus on the cross at the very heart. In fact, any Christianity without the cross, if there can be such a thing, anything that claims to be Christianity without the cross whether it's the liberal, it's all symbolic version, or the evangelical, let's just feel good version, is a false Christianity. Some years ago, the theologian H. Richard Niebuhr said this. He said, it is a false gospel that a God without wrath brought people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. We've been in John his gospel for almost 8 months now. Almost 8 months. 4 months 4 months to go. And we're doing that to immerse ourselves in the life of Jesus. We're soaking ourselves in John so we hear Jesus, we see Jesus, we understand Jesus better. And the cross is beginning to sneak up to us now in John. The cross is coming In chapter 11, after Jesus does his final sign of raising Lazarus from the death, it says a plot was hatched right then and there to kill Jesus. The cross is coming. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday, that famous entry. And we know why he's there, because the cross is coming. In chapter 12, we saw last week, Mary comes into the dinner party and begins to anoint Jesus' feet for his burial going to die the cross is coming Jesus tells a mini parable did you catch it about a small grain of wheat that he says has to drop into the ground and it has to die the cross is coming he says the hour for the son of man to be glorified has come the cross is coming Jesus speaks of his being lifted up from the earth which was to point out the way that he was going to die the cross is coming Our passage this morning, that we just read out of chapter 12, is filled with the cross. It's overshadowed by the cross and Jesus' death. And there are five things that this text, this particular passage, gives us about the cross. Number one, the cross would be Jesus' hour. It would be his hour. Number two, the cross would be Jesus' burden. Number three, the cross would be Jesus' purpose. Fourth thing, it would be Jesus' victory. And the last thing, it will be Jesus' glory. Dale Bruner calls this whole passage Jesus' sermon of crucified glory. His sermon of crucified glory. And it all begins because some Greeks come to the disciple Philip and say, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. If someone came to you and asked you to show 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 them Jesus. What would you do? How would you do it? Where would you point them? How would you bring them to see Jesus? Because someone very well may know you got a connection to Christ. They may associate him with you. And that's a good thing, by the way. That's good. Be ready. Be prepared to take them to him. Know your scriptures. Have a church to invite them to. Probably most importantly, be able to share your experience of Christ. How you encountered him the first time. Why you believe in him and worship him. And how you have experienced him in in your own life, in your daily, day-to-day life. Showing Jesus to someone. Five things about this cross. The first was that the cross was Jesus' hour. Now, in John's gospel, hour does not mean a 60-minute span of time, but a time that is right, the right time when Jesus would do what he ultimately came to do. Hour is not a chronological term. It is meaning, you know, kind of the right moment. And in John, the hour for Jesus always means God's timing for the sun to die and to rise. Remember at that wedding in Cana when the wine ran out and Mary goes to Jesus and says, you got to do something about this. And he says, my hour has not yet come. His hour. That's what he was speaking of. And several times in John, he keeps telling us, Jesus' hour has not yet come. Yes, this happens, but his hour has not yet come. Well, now that's over with. And his hour has come. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us God has a time for everything. There's a time for everything in God. And God is sovereign and God is over all and God has a plan. You know, God is not scattered. God is not whimsical. God doesn't think on his feet. God is at a plan for all time and eternity. And God has a perfect time and a plan for the salvation of all the world. Just as it says there is an hour, a time. When God will bring all things to a close and will hold the world accountable before him. And God has a perfect timing for our lives. He really does. Sometimes we don't know it. A lot of times we don't always know it. But he does. He has a timing. He has an hour, probably several hours, when things are right. And he wants to do something particularly poignant. Well, Jesus is in the perfect timing of the Father. The cross was Jesus' hour. The cross was Jesus' burden. Jesus fesses up. And he says, now, right now, my heart is troubled. He knows what is coming, and he knows it's not going to be a particularly pleasant thing. And he doesn't try to hide it. That word troubled was used of ships that were in storms and they were being tossed about. It was also a word used of depression. Jesus is not feeling very good. It's okay to be down. It's okay to be depressed. Sometimes we feel like that. When we find ourselves in a storm, being tossed about, we quite naturally feel down. We don't always want to be there. And we won't always be there. But it's a bummer when we're there. But when we face an experience certain things, you know, our hearts just just feel that way. We can't always put on a happy face. Jesus didn't. And his impending betrayal, arrest, torture, and death is troubling. The cross was a burden, and Jesus was open about it, and he was honest about it. Now my soul's troubled. That leads us, though, to how the cross was his purpose. Jesus, knowing he would soon die, he asked this question. So, should I ask, Father, save me from this hour? Should I ask that? He says, no. It was for this reason, this very reason, I came to this hour. For this very reason. You know, the purpose and the reason for Jesus coming into this world was to die for, not to be famous, not to be rich, not to have a fulfilling career, not to enjoy a leisurely life. And live it to its fullest. His purpose was to die for the sins of every human being who has ever lived and every human being who will live. Not real glamorous. We often think our purpose in life is probably going to be personal fulfillment and self-discovery. Now we're not put on this earth to be miserable, but the reason for our life isn't about us. Jesus' reason wasn't about him. And if anybody could make it about him, I suppose it would be the Son of God. Many of you might have read the book, The Purpose Driven Life, by Pastor Rick Warren. It was very popular just a few years ago, a bestseller. I love the way that book starts. You remember the first chapter, which is entitled, What Am I Here For? And Pastor Warren writes this. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. By the way, that is is heresy to modern 21st century American self-fulfillment thinking just stepped on a lot of toes. You know, God's reason for you, for me, might be something that isn't easy. His reason for you might be to be a parent of a child who needs a whole lot of patience and a whole lot of love in their life. God's reason for you might be to bear with a difficult spouse or a family member, and you are just to be the presence of God for that person for a long time. It might be, your purpose, your reason might be to be an example of long-suffering uh, to people or to be able to give people hope in their own brokenness. And that's his main reason for your life. You might, think that you're, you might think that your reason for living is your vocation. Yes, you are a doctor. Your purpose is to be a business manager. It is to be a salesperson. It is to be a pastor. And maybe the only reason God has you in that walk of life and at that workplace is only because he wants you to shine as his light in that place, and he may be waiting for you to get with it. He may want you to figure out it's not about a paycheck. It's not about your retirement plan. I have you there as my servant and as my witness to me. You are the laborer in a very ripe harvest field, and your position is just a tool in his larger reason for your life. Our reason in life is not to save the world. I'll tell you that. That was Jesus' reason in life. Our reason will not be to save the world. In fact, God, he may have many reasons, many purposes for our lives at different times. But there is a reason. Every one of us has a reason and a purpose, and it is found only in a life that is handed over to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was clear. He said the person who loves his or her life They're going to lose it. But the person who hates his or her life, and and hate was a Hebrew idiom, meaning make it second. Don't make it priority. So the person who does that, you're going to keep it. And you're going to keep it for eternal life. I'm afraid. I'm afraid one of the reasons that Christianity looks so feeble and anemic in this time and place is that the desire for self-fulfillment, safety, and preservation is more important to people than living God-centered, God-honoring, self-sacrificial lives. We have to trust God's wisdom that only in losing our life will we find the life of God. If we die to the supremacy of our own self-preservation and the advancement of ourselves at all costs, we will live. Jesus was not so in love with his life that he sought to just advance at all costs. He knew his purpose and he knew it was the cross, which leads us to how the cross was his victory. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Something big was happening on the cross. It was a cosmic battle. The power of of this world the prince of this world satan the adversary was broken and i find it interesting that jesus refers to him as prince because princes don't have the ultimate rule only kings do and we know who the king is there's a problem in this world have you noticed it there's a problem it's evil evil is in this world and it's doing a lot of damage And there's one behind that evil. Now Satan's defeat on the cross does not mean Satan's absence because the battle still continues, doesn't it? We see the kingdom of darkness and violence, poverty, greed, selfishness, terrorism, divided churches, disease, human trafficking, killing and murder, petty anger amongst individuals. The prince is still around, but as I heard one person say and put it, the kingdom of God has broken into this world with devils filled. Christ has invaded the territory of the enemy. He sees the beachheads, and we, the followers of Christ, are his representatives behind the enemy lines until all is complete according to the purpose of God. Christ came so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus is the victor, winning the battle with the evil one on the Christ. Now Satan still will come at us and he still controls those who do not believe or belong to Christ, but he does not rule those who believe in Jesus. The prince of this world is done. Such is the power of the cross and the battle that was finished there. And finally, because of that, we see how the cross was Jesus' glory. And this tells us how? To bring glory to God. Glorified. Time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Twelve different times in John that phrase comes up, particularly in, chapters, uh, in chapter 12. It's used a lot. Glorified. And whenever John means glorified, he's speaking of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what it means. The Son is going to be glorified. Now, no one thought of dying on a cross as a particularly glorifying thing. And this was the hang-up of the crowd who heard Jesus say that the Son of Man would be glorified. Yet the Son of Man, he says, must be lifted up, meaning the way that he was going to die in a way that was reserved for the worst criminals in the Roman Empire. They understood the Son of Man was going to be a figure who came from God, sent from God, full of divine power. Son of Man, figure comes from the book of Daniel. And that's what they were expecting, someone of divine power. Because to be crucified is the exact opposite of divine power. It's the exact opposite of being glorified in the world's eyes. So how did Jesus bring glory to the Father? By giving his life and by being obedient, by being intoxicated with pleasing his Father. I want to point out to you verse 28 where Jesus prays a prayer that is good for anyone who worships him. He says that he would pray, he could pray for escape from the cross, but that no, he came to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he will not do that. His one concern is the glory of God, and so he prays this, verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. To pray, Father, glorify your name, is to pray that whatever is done, we are bringing honor to the Father. Who he is is made clear to others by what we do, the choices we make, the way we live. We can pray that prayer every day in almost in, in any circumstance, in any situation. The prayer can be applied anytime, anywhere. Wondering if you should take that job? Make that move, Father, glorify your name. Should I marry that person? Thinking about how my marriage should be right now, Father, glorify your name. Having a hard time with someone, gauging the best way to respond, Father, glorify your name. Taking a look at the priorities of your life, doing a little inventory, Father, glorify your name. In my life. Wondering what to do in a situation. How to live your life. If you should take that path. What the right thing is. Father glorify your name. In this church. Father glorify your name. Even if it kills me. May you be glorified. Because Jesus said. Unless a grain of wheat dies. The person who loves his life. Wants to glorify himself. Preserve at all costs. You're going to lose. I'm telling you, that is a deep and true, non-negotiable, non-negotiable spiritual principle. Keeping our lives, we will lose it. How often do you pray? Father, glorify your name. How often do you pray for God to be glorified in the circumstances, in the situation, no matter what? Even if it's the end of you, your agenda, your desires, do you want God to be glorified? I know what I pray a lot. Father, can you spare me from this situation? Would you see to my safety? Would you see to my convenience? Would you make me look good? This is a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of putting ourselves in God's hands, placing us at the disposal of his will. Father, glorify your name. Can we trust it? Well, That's a prayer you've got to trust, too. You're going to do it. You know, we don't need a little religion in our lives. We need the glory of God in our lives. David Roper, the writer, pastor, said Jesus died every day of his life. The cross was simply the culmination of a lifetime of dying to his dreams, his reputation, his career, his friends, his comfort, and eventually his own life. Every day he gave up something he couldn't have, and so must we. That's hard. It's very hard. Yet dying is the way of Jesus, and it brings glory to God. Dying to our compulsion about how we look to others. Dying to our personal ambition. Dying to that need to control. Dying to those certain comforts and conveniences. Dying to my attitudes that just aren't good. Dying to always needing to vindicate myself. Those types of things. Boy, in the honor and the acclaim of the world, it is so intoxicating. I want to be recognized. I want it all to come my way. Paul said this. May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me. And I've been crucified to the world. Thank God that Jesus didn't try to escape. Thank God that he didn't run the other way. Thank God that he just was perfectly obedient, even to death on a cross. And thank God that he didn't have the Father save him for his hour, but that he wanted to glorify the Father, whatever it took. And because of him and because of his cross, We can see and we can live for the glory of God. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, by your Holy Spirit, make these things true in our hearts and our lives. Whatever is unworthy, in the words of this this sermon, drive it out. Whatever is of the truth, establish it. Whatever is of the light, let it illumine nothing but the immeasurable riches of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we may bring glory to you and to no other. And all who agreed with this prayer said, amen.